I had not planned to start in the, in the way that I'm going to start, but apparently that's how I'm going to start this talk. I'm always a little surprised that I have a little plan in my mind. Sometimes in, as I sit here, suddenly something else comes up and I'm like, oh, okay, so we're going in a different direction. So, um, um, so I'm... Uh, I'm, uh, I don't know if that's, that's probably not exactly the right word, celebrating. Although, in a way, I am. So, uh, this week, I am um, celebrating. You'll, you'll see your question also, like, oh, celebrating, how are you? <laughs> so, this week, uh, this week, I'm celebrating uh, 20 years of uh, living with the HIV virus. So, uh, and it's been quite a journey. And, uh, yeah, very, very rich. You can imagine how it has in, uh, gave a, an interesting twist to this life for me. But, um, I, somehow it's related to joy for me. <coughs> Maybe a couple of months ago now, I um, was with uh, a group of uh, dedicated uh, practitioner, practitioners, a uh, hundred people, a hundred of us like this in another uh, uh, meditation center. And uh, there was one of, uh, th- one of the members of the teaching team uh, who was there, uh, Shahara Godfrey, a Dharma friend of mine, and she, uh, one night, she, it was not a silent retreat per se, there was a, a certain amount of talking and meeting together, and one night she said that uh, what she wanted to organize, what she was organizing and offering was a, a mudita circle, so we all sat in a circle and uh, put a few chairs in the middle. Uh, Shahara was creating the space and invite, inviting people to shares, uh, share stories of joy. So that was really like we were exploring mudita together, the joy. Joy of the happiness of others, the joy of uh, the the beautiful qualities of others, the the joy of of life, sharing stories, and the capacity for us to rejoice uh, for uh, uh, each other's uh, stories. So people were coming in a circle and telling stories. It was actually a very sweet uh, evening and what stood out for me and I think for all of us really, uh, really, really strongly and it's something that uh, Lila mentioned yesterday afternoon that maybe I just want to reiterate and also because it's, it was so uh, new to me and to actually to that it was made so clear to me and people came in the middle and shared stories you know, uh, two mothers came in the, a different time in the circle, two mothers came in the, in the Mudita circle to tell about the death of their uh, child. That was, and the beauty of their child, the beauty of, the, of their courage, or the, and, and uh, there were several stories like this, but it was very deeply touching to me how our joys are intrinsically mixed with the fullness of our lives. Uh, 
and how and so here I am telling you about the fact that I'm celebrating 20 years of uh, survival and uh, and healing and opening uh, with maybe one of my greatest uh, teacher uh, along you know this path <coughs> and so I know that if we were to make a circle here and open up open it up in this way uh, we would have to bring the fullness of our life to talk about uh, our courage, our beauty, the beauty of our people. Uh, do you do you agree with this? Do you see something in there? And so that's how this uh, sharing starts. Not exactly as I had planned it. But what, what made, made this arise now? I think because of uh, being in the group discussions. The, so there's this team, theme of joy on the retreat and being in the group discussion, what we hear about, what is mentioned, is some of the struggles of being here or the struggles of having a heart or the struggle, struggle of having... A, physical body or the struggles of having uh, a mind no or the struggles of having a history that uh, follows us accompanies us on the cushion even if we left everything behind you know our struggles the struggles of having a uncertain future you know so that's all uh, here with us and we're learning i think step by step or breath by breath or moment by moment, how to make space for the fullness of our life and, and uh, rejoice in the beautiful part and rejoice in our capacity to meet our life. So maybe in the following minutes we could um, uh, just consider the archetypal life of the Buddha or the, the Buddha-to-be at the beginning of the story, just to see what's uh, in there, what are the teachings around joy in there. And uh, so in this uh, archetypal stories story, as you know, it says that the one who was going to become the Buddha, uh, they had access to a lot of pleasure, no? The story tells that, and so that it seems like it's presented as if the main source of joy of this being was beautiful music, beautiful scents, beautiful dance, beautiful flowers, beautiful uh, everything being protected. The story tells us that everything around him was uh, uh, everything that was um, <coughs> aging, falling, ugly, or whatever was removed so that there his mind could be protected and so there was a lot of access to uh, beauty and pleasure comfort com com comfortable right and it seems in the story that it says that even that was not enough and sometimes our life is like this now we want to uh, multiply the amount of uh, um, safety comfort uh, pleasure and you know you could i don't know for you but one could really be sitting here and plan the day in terms of pleasure you know so uh, 
the next walk, I'll get that kind of tea. Maybe mixed with one bag of ginger. <laughs> I know the honey's there. Okay, and then, well, so I'll come back, sit at the last minute so I don't get too uncomfortable, and then it'll be lunch, lunch. If I, and I'm quick enough, put my shoes there, I'll be first in line. <laughs> then nap. Then, and you know, like the whole, th- the whole, we can organize the whole thing like this, no? Or try to. And <laughs> but there's something about it that is also tiring or, uh, sometimes I use English words, I'm not sure of their meaning, but it's kind of intuitive or like some kind of weir- weariness. It's that, you know, like it's uh, and it seems that that's what uh, happened to the Buddha to be that even being provided with so much beauty and his and its uh, uh, privileged life, you know, was was not doing it. That this uh, being went on a search for something else and jumped over the wall of protected fun and pleasure and and uh, whatever else was going on in there. <coughs> There's actually a scene, I don't know if it's from the actual sutras or from later commentary or where I took this, but I've heard this in this, uh, the circles around here a few times where uh, there's a pivotal moment where the, the, the one that was going to be the Buddha wakes up in the morning after a night of festivities and there's all these bodies around asleep, you know, and all these crashed can beers or some something like this. I don't know if they had that at that uh, time, but uh, the, just the taking in the scene and something about it being like, wow, what what is that? What that doesn't work, you know? That's that's not that that's not it, you know. And so there was a jumping over the wall of the uh, of the palace. Let's call it like this and going for the search. And I won't go into every bit of the song. Maybe I'll stop at the four messengers for a few seconds. Many of you know this, that there was four uh, mind-turning, uh, consciousness-altering encounters. Huh? The Buddha to be uh, going outside of the, the wall of the palace, went into town in the village and saw somebody who was sick and was struck by, you imagine, you've, you've only seen healthy, young, dancing people, and suddenly you see somebody by the side of the road vomiting and having compulsion, you know, spasm in the body and, uh, and not feeling well, and the shock of that, right? And uh, then later on, that same night, this sounds very archetypal to me, but that same night encountering uh, uh, an elderly person, really, really elderly, and bent over and uh, dried up some. And at, imagine you had never seen this, that the body ages. The shock of that, ah, what is that? What's happened? And the friend of the Buddha-to-be said, oh, this is aging, we're all going to age. Wow, what a shock. And then uh, running into a, a corpse, somebody was uh, dead, and the shock of this, of seeing the absence of life in a, in a body, wow. And how this woke something in this being, wow, what, the, what's that? The, there's something I was missing, there's some... And then the fourth encounter of the renunciate, so uh, this young person 
suddenly saw on the street somebody who was uh, head shaved, was ra- wearing rags, uh, maybe a look of humility, uh, offering their ball to be uh, fed and very humbly, and the uh, image of that, of the kind of the, again, an archetype of a quest, of a search for meaning, of a renunciation. And I'm, I'm uh, recalling, just because I think I was uh, talking about this a couple of days ago, I'm recalling, uh, uh, just to make this a little personal, uh, also, sitting in the doctor's office when I was 20, I think it was 25 or 26, and the doctor saying, oh, you know, there's something wrong with the paperwork here. You know, you, you've you got this, this uh, virus in your body. And at that time, uh, there was no, the drugs that we have access to, some of us, you know, uh, some privileged uh, ones of us have access to uh, great medication, but at that time it didn't exist. So, and I had seen a lot of people getting sick and elderly very quick, quickly, even in their twenties and thirties, and dying. And I remember sitting. I didn't know that story, but when I heard that that story of the th- at least the three first messengers, uh, I r- totally recalled sitting in the doctor's office and the doctor telling me this. And uh, suddenly my encounter with the three messengers. I remember when I heard the story of the Buddha, that he, that night he met these messengers. I remember thinking, wow, he was lucky because I moved in with them. <laughs> he just <laughs> encountered them. But me, that afternoon in my bedroom, they were there. And that night and for many years, they've, they've been around me. You know, We've been uh, hanging out together a lot. And um, and so, and you might have your own story of how you encountered uh, these messengers. Um, and we say that they're good messengers. They're uh, helpful along one's path to remind us of uh, the fragility of life and it, maybe it's preciousness, right? Yeah. So, um, back to uh, the one that was going to become the Buddha. Then this person went on a a practice where the way I understand it, my understanding might be incomplete, but the way I understand it is that, uh, (coughs) or maybe one way to present it, would be to say that uh, for a few years, uh, this person on this quest followed some ascetic practices where Pleasure was seen as something to be avoided, uh, that was um, bringing someone down or entangling someone. So no pleasure. So eating very little, maybe not uh, laying down even to sleep. Uh, all kinds of practices we hear of uh, walk, uh, standing on one leg all day long. And so in a way trying to maximize this pleasure in order to kind of clear up some karma. And by not giving one access to pleasure, but making hard uh, life very hard. And again, it's an archetype here. And maybe we can make some links with our own lives. How we think that by working harder, becoming somebody else, and you know, 
uh, hating who we are. These are all kinds of modern uh, ascetic practices that we think will bring us uh, happiness, being very harsh on oneself, you know. And so for a few years there was that, uh, uh, the, w- the way the search uh, took its, the form manifested with, was in this way. And then, I like that moment, to me that's very pivotal and it talks about the practice here and that's where we're entering maybe the, the exploration of the space or place of joy in our practice. But this very little sleep, this very little eating, this kind of workaholism, to to use a modern uh, expression, uh, the the, uh, Siddhartha Gautama found out that it was just about to actually kill him. Yeah, he was about to die of this. He was actually laying on the ground just about to lose consciousness uh, from lack of nutriment, you know. And the thought was like, wow, this, ac- this uh, practice is actually going to lead not to liberation, but to death. That's the logical end of this practice, not to liberation. And then a memory, well, first, someone appeared there. There was a young woman, says the archetypes, who was uh, going, going around with a bowl of a warm, uh, let's call it porridge, rice pudding, rice milk, to offer to uh, one of the deities of the forest, maybe. But ran into the Buddha-to-be and saw this being emaciated, laying on the ground and thought, you know what, maybe it would be wiser to offer them this food rather than to uh, anybody else, really. And so she offered the ball and the Buddha was wise enough at that moment, the Buddha-to-be was wise enough to actually uh, take some nutriment and maybe even taste the deliciousness of this cardamom, rice, uh, uh, milk pudding. And, uh, and then I think a memory came to mind and I like that memory, that memory is suddenly this memory of being what? Let's say eight, seven, eight years old. So way back then, 20 something years before. Suddenly this memory flash in this being's mind of being a child, sitting under a tree in the spring maybe. And just being there feeling maybe the wind, uh, resting under the shade of the tree, feeling safe, his father uh, being in a certain distance, uh, doing a springtime uh, festival with the farmers. And so Siddhartha was remembering, just sitting there, and something sweet about that time the mind being kind of quiet, but also engaged. So not a lust and not agitated, but just being there enough to actually feel the warmth, feel the breeze maybe. Uh, and this little memory of something very, uh, in a way, we could almost say simple, came to mind. 
I remember in a conversation here with practitioners many years ago, we were talking about this and, and then somebody, somebody said, oh, I remember f- for me a memory like this when I was younger. Is One time I was walking in the woods and uh, a dog came and was very friendly, kind of Labrador maybe, or Golden Retriever came and just walked with me for a little while, maybe 10 minutes or so in the woods. And I have that memory of being a child and walking and just kind of being there and things being perfect in an ordinary way, just an ease of heart and mind, a quality of presence. And then, whoops, and somebody else said, oh, I have a memory too. I remember when I was a kid going up a tree one time and I was at the top of the tree and the tree was like very, very subtly swaying with the wind. And I remember just being there and just being content or kind of a fullness of life. Yeah. So you might have memories like this. My memory, I'm from the north, so my memory is actually uh, laying down in the snow and just watching the big snowflakes slowly fall and touch my skin and explode in coldness, you know. And then my mom at some point opening the door and say, move, it's cold, you're supposed to move when you're outside. <laughs> and uh, and uh, very caring mother. And so what I like about this is that because it's a turning point in the life of this uh, being on a search, and the turning point is remembering something quite natural that kids have access to in the right conditions, you know. And uh, I like that because it's pointing to something that is not like for a special human, I don't know what, you know, special being that I usually don't feel I am, or maybe you either, you know. It's, it's kind of very organic, accessible, natural to us, this memory. And for the Buddha, that was the beginning of the middle path, where he thought, or again, the Buddha-to-be, he thought, oh, maybe the search for pleasure at all costs is not exactly the right path for happiness. Maybe this is uh, exhausting, you know, and it's not actually providing so much, because every time the pleasure is felt, it's, it's, there's an enjoyment, a gratification, but it also passes. And the avoidance at all costs of pleasure might not be exactly the way out of this trouble, of the human predicament. But maybe there's something that we could think of as the middle path, and let me investigate this. This is amazing, because nobody had had that teaching, apparently, to offer. That was like self-discovered, you know? And so this being said, I think I'm going to invest in this. I'm actually, I'm actually going to let go of the things I'm being taught and going to really invest in that middle path of no extremes, being there and feeling life and be- becoming curious about life and seeing if I can uh, let life be known in the way that it is really happening. Some, some, that's my wording of it today, anyway. And so oh, what are we doing here? It's pretty much this, no? 2,600 years later, we're trying to see if we can apply this to ourselves and what discoveries we can make around this. And uh, some of the thought of this 
person laying there eating porridge or rice uh, pudding. I'm, I'm kind of translating here in the, my own language and uh, images. I hope it's okay that I do that. But um, the thoughts were, uh, these thoughts were, oh, I'm paraphrasing here, but almost, almost word by word, something like, oh, I don't have to fear this kind of pleasure. I don't have to fear. I can feel this kind of pleasure. This kind of pleasure is not for my harm or for the harm of others. It's for my benefit. It's onward leading. That was kind of an intuition. And so uh, suddenly a whole new path opened of allowing uh, quality connection with reality allowing intimacy, allow, allowing uh, a feeling of uh, appreciation for the beauty, the joy of nature. And later when you read the monastics uh, writing at the time of the Buddha, monks and nuns, and they describe sometimes such, such pleasure. At, you know, there's a series, I, I didn't take time to look them up, but there's a series of poems where you people are practicing in the forest and they say, oh, how I love these rocks. I love these, I love the spring that is flowing next to my little hut or cabin or cave, you know. And uh, how I love, uh, how I appreciate the sound of these birds, you know, and this crane that comes to hang out with me. And so there's not a turning away from pleasure. And so, what is the place for joy on this path? And so that's one of the doors here, the capacity to uh, n nurture the mind, to let the mind appreciate the beauty. And sometimes it's the beauty of nature. Sometimes it's the beauty of uh, one's own mind or the beauty of another's mind, you know? And so for me, one of my Practi the practices that bring joy to me is to be attentive in life to others' beautiful qualities. So that particular kind of mudita. So when somebody is expressing patience, when I'm judging myself for being too slow or inefficient in some way, and I can see in the other that there's actually space for my inefficiency. You know, that it's actually quite okay. And sometimes it's in very small ways, like I'll be trying to find the right change at the grocery. You know how it is, you know, you want that dime and it's just not reachable and you feel awkward and unworthy of being alive. <laughs> and the person at the cashier is just, they've seen that situation before. They had that wisdom that it's actually okay, it's a human experience and they could say, hey, it's okay, it's a human experience. You're, you're part of humanity. You're not falling out because you're not reaching that dime. You know, and there's just this little thing of patience and I'm training myself to notice these because that is for my benefit and for the benefit of others because I register this. I want to be impressed by these because then I live in a little bit of a safer world because I've noticed that it's there. And then I'm impressed and I have an insight into, oh, that's a good way to live. I also want to offer this to others. So in any way that we can appreciate uh, here in this space, movements of kindness or, uh, you know, all the ways, all the many hundreds of manifestations of this in a day, like take them in 
it's, uh, it's a good practice. In this uh, experience of the rose apple tree, because apparently the Buddha-to-be was sitting under a rose uh, apple tree at that moment. And there's something special to the path that we're walking here, and I want to name that, is the experience of seclusion. And so, <clears throat> by paying attention, by trying to connect, aiming attention towards reality, something happening in reality, you know, the temperature in the room, the silence in the room, the aliveness of the fingers or hands, the movements of the belly, by bringing attention, giving full, uh, generous attention, or as full as possible. I want to be careful with this, to kind of not set a certain bar that one would feel they fail, you know, but by again and again generously patiently, humbly offering attention, again discovering how life is manifesting, we uh, create a quality connection with reality that we can uh, sustain, that stays a little bit. And when the, this attention stays a bit and connects, what happens is, um, what can happen, and you might have felt it or it might uh, come in the next few days at different moments, when the mind stays, stays connected, at some point, uh, it gets interested, it gets uh, close to, and the mind gets secluded. We have an experience, sometimes people describe this, there was, oh, there was a few seconds where it was so easy to be there. And the experience is uh, secluded from what? From the hindrances, the difficult mind states. And so, in the co and that's why we pay attention here again and again, so that uh, we can reduce uh, the grip of wanting something else. We're, we're uh, cultivating curiosity for what is happening. Can I be here uh, with this body exactly as it is? Can I feel this? Can I be there for this taste? Can I be there for this broccoli that is disappearing or melting? Or Can I be there sustaining the quality presence to the moment? And, uh, and in that, what it... Uh, allows or maybe cultivate is a falling away of the desire to be experiencing something else. A falling away of the desire to be somebody else, to be somewhere else. Because do you recognize that this sometimes is really painful to be in? You know? And so here we turn, it's a radical practice of turning towards the present. And in this way learning to allow it to be. And then there can be a falling away of rejection, of wanting something else, of falling away of not being able to connect. We, we teach ourselves, we invite ourselves to connect with reality again and again. And at some point, whoops, it will stay naturally for a little time. I'm sure you, you can describe moments where suddenly the mind really felt the in-breath. Just for a moment, it was not... Like, I have to, or I don't do it, you know? And so away falls the doubt. Do I do it right or not right? There's just, oh, it's like this right now, the silence. And one can recognize in that, that it's a good way to live, you know? How do we reach this? It's not by will. Okay, let me, let all the hindrances fall away, all the difficult mind state. No, it's by humbly, underlined, humbly 
Like, it's not like, I want to get this. It's, I'm just, can I be here? Is it possible to connect with this reality in some way, to be touched by something or touch something? And by doing this again and again, uh, suddenly it might for a few moments, seconds or minutes, become a kind of default setting. And there's an ease in the mind. Oh, and actually I don't need to be perfectly aligned and light. I can be a little crooked, a little uneasy. But if I allow it to be just like this, suddenly it becomes plenty of reality, maybe. I don't need, for a few moments, another reality. This one existing is worthy of uh, being known. And so there's a, a particular, um, how do you say it, L- linear way maybe to present this in the teachings. Very clear, you might want to know this. It says that when we pay attention, mindfulness, when we bring careful awareness, careful, yeah, care, let's say just care for what's happening, when we do this again and again, at some point we'll develop some curiosity. The mind will get interested in the phenomena that we're applying attention to, giving attention to. It will suddenly say, oh, hold on, did I see, did I feel something? Let me, it will kick in. And when curiosity arises in the mind, it's followed by energy. Curiosity is an energizing factor. So when we pay attention, at some point the mind will want to know it will, volunt- it will want to know. This will be energizing. And in that line of events, we say mindfulness brings curiosity. Curiosity brings energy. And energy brings... Ta-da! That's not even the l- end of the line, but theme of our retreat. Joy. So that's, that's something interesting. That's, I think it's good stuff to know. That's what we're doing here. We're paying attention, and at some point the mind becomes curious. And because also it's conditioned, Lila and I are keep saying like, hey, bring your curious interest to whatever is there, you know. Even if you feel a little uh, dejected, bring your interest to that quality of mind. Oh, what is it like to be de- dejected? It's not like being high or... It's, it has its particularities. It's a particular field or per- particular texture. Can you allow it to be known? Can you become interested in calm, in not much happening? Can you become interested in intensity? Can you become interested in stepping? Because we want you to bring attention and bring curiosity because we know that at some point it'll be energizing. And at some point you'll come to us with joy and say, like uh, one retreatant not long ago, uh, and that's regular stuff that we hear, will come and say like, wow, I was sitting there, and suddenly I, there was a noise that arose, and I had an opinion. Like I saw my mind like grab the situation, like people should not, you know? <laughs> and, they, and, they, and I was so uh, touched by this because this person was experiencing a lot of enthusiasm about difficult states of mind, you know, saying like, I got caught in an opinion and like I created 
this psyche created problem for itself, you know, by instead of like just like noise, there's a noise sound, sound arising, unpleasant sound, suddenly there was, I'm right, you're wrong, you should never do this, people, they do that, you know, <laughs> and this uh, retreatant was really happy describing this thing, like, I saw it, I saw how the mind created suffering, oh my God, I'm so happy, thank you so much. <laughs> And I was like, oh, we're on the way. This is a mind that is developing interest for reality, curiosity. It's energized by even trouble, you know? And so that is the beginning of the end of suffering, you know? Because one is not totally caught in this. One is bringing interest for that. And there can be, it's not the only uh, pathway, but that's certainly one that we invest uh, in here. And this happens naturally. Our task is to see if we can pay attention, see if we can bring a non-demanding uh, attention. Just allow what is there to be known fully. And then naturally, the Buddha said something that naturally the mind that pays attention will become interested. Naturally, it will become energized. Naturally, it will rejoice. And then just, I may as well finish the, the line here, naturally this mind will calm down, will get tranquil, because uh, full, content, in, engaged in a wholesome way, and naturally will get uh, gathered, concentrated, and naturally uh, will get balanced, equanimous, and naturally will see reality as it is, and will let go of uh, difficult ways to understand, view, perceive, hold, uh, interact with reality. So that's the kind of progress here. And so joy we can see is really important on the path. And again, it's not something that we say, okay, I'm supposed to be joyful now. It's gonna No, it's humble process. Can I actually be here in the middle of what is given to me now? In the middle of that meal, in the middle of that body resting on the bed, in the middle of that tooth brushing. And uh, in the teaching also, very important that you know this, when the Buddha describes practice, he describes every phenomena that is experienced by uh, a person in any subtle or gross way, mental or physical, it's always the same kind of thing, worth being attentive to. <coughs> so even, so the most subtle states of mind, can you actually notice the different qualities of calm? Yeah? So very subtle, gross, can you uh, is that the word in English? Gross, not go like gross, but like uh, more like not so subtle, like more. And so, in the instruction, the Buddha says, when you go to the bathroom, for lack of a, I don't know the Pali word exactly, in the <laughs> time of the Buddha, but defecating, perfect time to pay attention. Life is happening, urinating, perfect time to pay attention. So, toothbrushing opening doors. And so we're not actually joking about this. You know, we're really inviting you here to maybe slow down. That's one of the classic Burmese technique is to slow down. Slow down from habitual ways to move. Just walk a little slower, open the doors a little slower, move your hand towards your mouth with the fork a little slower, just so that you can, things become outstanding chew a little slower so that taste can be felt and their nature of arising, exploding and disappearing 
can uh, be experienced. Yeah? And in this way, the mind will start to connect, be intrigued. Otherwise, we're so habitual. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Eating, eating, eating. You know? Slow down a little bit. Pay attention. These are ways to bring joy in your life. Yeah? See if it's true for you. Again, you don't have to believe anything here. It's just a field to explore different methods, different ways. trying to use the, my three last minutes here. Well, one of the ways to talk about what we're doing also here is to make the mind a little bit more pliable, fluid, malleable. Yeah? So we, we're bringing all these qualities in the wake of attention given. There's many qualities of patience, of honesty, of courage, of uh, dedication, of uh, <coughs> energy and calm that are developed. This makes the, m- the mind pliable, fluid, malleable, so that it can meet the world. Or have you noticed that the world doesn't behave exactly as we want it to behave? People usually don't. Phenomena don't. You know, we expect something and it's just a little different. Or we almost have it perfect, but whoops, something slides to the other direction. And so it's good for us to develop a mind that can actually encounter reality on its own terms, you know, that is regulated by its own laws, not the laws of what I would have wanted, uh, but its own ways. And so by paying attention and (coughs) developing all these qualities, we make the mind fluid. And yesterday, Lila was saying, I think I heard something about the fluid mind, how transformation happened, or maybe this morning, I think. But um, uh, sitting here again, uh, I remember a couple of years back, uh, Catherine McGee, another teaching, s- teacher, saying something similar that was very impactful for me. She said, transformation does not happen in a rigid mind. Transformation happens in a mind that is pliable. And so imagine somebody says like, okay, I'm always doing this, I'm tired of doing this, I'm not going to do this anymore, that's finished, I'm not doing this. (laughs) What are the chances of success here? (laughs) You know? So here we say, let me see how it appears, that pattern of mind, that way to be. Let me feel it when I'm in the middle of it, that self-loathing. Let me become aware instead of like, I don't want this anymore. Why is it still there? Let me actually feel, really be awake in the middle of a mind that is abusing oneself. You know, let me actually feel the impact of that. Let me be impressed by that so that I can discover in that maybe that actually it's not helpful. Yeah. And so what we'll need here is a lot of potential a lot of attention, a lot of careful attention, a lot of balanced attention, non-reactive attention. And this will make the mind very, very fluid, pliable, so much so that it will have insight. It will discover things because it will be able to take in what what is happening. It will allow for a feedback loop that doesn't happen when I have an opinion, that it shouldn't be there, it shouldn't be happening. Let me take this in. This is really what's happening. 
whoa, let me feel fully what's happening. So then I can actually wisely act on uh, the information that's been gathered. And not just in ideas, but felt deeply. Yeah? I don't know if I'm talking well about this process, but uh, that's what's happening here. And so this mind that we're developing here is a mind that will enable us to learn stuff. Anything else in our life that we're going to have to learn, a new task or something. Imagine a mind that is both has quietness to it, calm, and connection that is engaged with reality. Imagine that mind learning a new uh, task. Imagine that mind uh, being in a conflict. The capacity to take in what's happening in a stable way and to actually really feel. And that mind usually has access to its own values. When a mind that is rigid and reactive forgets its values and can start abusing and can start being abused by a place where it shouldn't, you know, because there's a lack of... And here, we really create a mind that can remember, hey, I count, the other count. Am I considering the others in this, in this decision that I'm making? This, that mind that is uh, open, caring, uh, uh, in a very imperfect way, you know, like I, I don't want to make utopia here, you know. But still, that's the direction we're going with this uh, practice so that we can remember our values of respect, of consideration, of care, of truthfulness, you know? Because when the mind gets like, I need this at all cost, you know, it becomes rigid, it will be ready to hide the truth, to get what it believes it needs, you know? Or anything else it uh, can do. And so there is a joy of learning how to touching that kind of mind that has uh, more clarity to it, more, um, I don't know if I want to use the word acceptance, but acknowledgement, that is really to able to really acknowledge what is happening in order to respond wisely. So these were a few words about this practice. I hope there's something in there that can be useful or inspiring that will keep, uh, help us keep uh, practicing together. And much of what we'll discover will be revealed in this practice. That's, that's the way it works here. This is a little bit of information, but the power is in the discoveries, alive experiential discoveries of this. So let's sit here for just a few moments. So may our practice uh, include the fullness of life.
May we be able to meet the difficulties in this heart and mind and body and may we be able to really also fully meet <coughs> the beauty and the strength and the pleasures that comes from this uh, heart and this mind and this body. And may our care also be brought and our attention and our fullness of attention be brought to our relationships and to our communities and to the way we live together. Uh, No aspects uh, being excluded, no one being excluded. so that we can experience uh, joy and freedom and care and compassion and that we can also offer it. And allow me maybe to dedicate uh, this talk or my, all my thoughts to uh, Shahara who was, uh, was undergoing surgery twice uh, in the last few weeks and for well-being. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.